Um, anyways, uh, airport codes. Uh, so I don't know where I came up. I guess this is a story in Aviation News. Um, and they were, people were wondering how airport codes are decided. All right. And I, I guess the question is, I mean, do you know? Is it is there like a is there like a, a, a you know some sort of special super probationary committee in Washington that that decides what airport codes we, get? we can't talk about that <laughs> I see because <laughs> you're on we, we, we can't we can't talk about that. Uh, okay well all right then I don't know where we go from here then well, well uh, I mean we can't talk about the special committee oh okay all right okay so we could talk about how some some identifiers are, are very descriptive of uh, obvious yeah. as to which airport uh, they're assigned to. Others, not so much. Right. And I, it always seemed to me that if possible, so it's like a vanity plate. If possible, you'd like to have your airport code be something that's kind of a markety kind of brandable slogan, right? Um, but I, how much influence do the operators of an airport have I, I guess that, you know, most all these airport codes have, have been long assigned and it's not like they're up for... Can you change your code? I guess maybe that's a question. I believe that you probably could, but I'm not sure what would be um, involved in doing it. Uh, right. For instance, the state of Florida uh, created a whole bunch of codes for airports that didn't have them. Right. The little airports, like the one I live at. Sure. Um, and, and I would imagine... the yeah. big airports probably did pick their own codes and modified them when they said, well, we're going to the three-letter system or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. And and, and, and and new airports or airports getting, for one reason or another, a change of code often have input into which code that should be. What what the code should be sure, should and you know, and I would imagine there are rules like you know, you know through that special committee, like your like your like your uh, uh, vanity plates. They won't let you use a you know a, a nasty word. You know, um, could you could you have uh, could your airport be Whiskey Tango Foxtrot? Didn't we have? Didn't we talk about this? Isn't there in fact? No, no, there was like an LOL. Maybe that's what it was. There was a, <laughs> a K LOL, um, and uh, um, we've talked on the podcast about there was like a. Um, there was uh, someplace on the West Coast, there was like an Oscar, Oscar one, and there was a zero, zero one, um, two different airports in California, something like that. Um, I, I just, for the heck of it, Googled uh, Kilo, Whiskey, Tango, Foxtrot. Yeah. There's a radio station uh-huh. in Sonoma County. Well, that totally makes sense. I can totally <laughs> Which, imagine that. Right? Nonprofit yeah. community radio station. Yeah. Um, so I, that one question answered. Yeah. Um, and of course, I've talked many times. I'm sorry, I'm digging here just to get the refreshment memory about what they are. The two codes here in New England that just always tickle me are um, from. Hang on, refresh the page. Here it is. Okay, so uh, so there is a Northampton in Massachusetts, and there's a Northampton in New Hampshire, and the Northampton, and they both have small airports. Um, and the Northampton in Massachusetts, its code is 7 Bravo 2. And the Northampton in New Hampshire is 7 Bravo 3. Which, well, no room for confusion there, huh? Um, you know, so. Sounds like they did that alphabetically. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's like, 
you know, and, and those I think fall into the category, like Amy was alluding to, of, of airports that don't really have a formal code, and, and they just kind of got assigned a, the next number in the sequence. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe, maybe the whatever department of the FAA that assigns these codes considered New England all one thing, and they had a list of airports in alphabetical order, and they had the two Northamptons were on the list one after the other, and so, so that that kind of You'd begs the question really as to why. You'd have to really peel the onion with that special committee to figure out. <laughs> yeah, I think you would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But I don't know. Then, so why did the Massachusetts Northampton get two, and we got stuck with three? This is what I want to know. They're alphabetical by state. Well, uh, I'm not sure. No, I okay. I, I don't know either, but it's as logical as anything. Why? Okay. Why do we have XO one, XO two, XO three, XO four? You know, zero, those are zeros. And uh-huh. then we have nine, four, Fox, Lima. Uh-huh. I mean, it just seems like over time they changed or, their entire way of doing it. Yeah. What's the, oh, I can do it right here. What's the identifier for, uh, what's that, that uh, residential uh, air park, uh, Travolta? Lived, uh, that would be that? Jumbo Lair, yeah. Jumbo Lair. In Ocala. Uh-huh. Okay. What is that one? Good, because we're going to. Yeah, we're going to dox John Travolta. That's okay. One seven Foxtrot Lima. There you go. So it's an FL, uh-huh. but Everglade City is X zero one. Uh huh. Apopka oh, is X zero four. One difference yeah. between these, and I don't know, you know, what what is? Uh, hang on a second. One difference here, though, is private versus open to public. Hmm. Okay. Yep. That may be very true. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense. It always struck me as weird that they. In okay. Fact- well, in Spruce Creek, just for the, uh-huh. yeah. uh, just for the uh, grins here, is seven Foxtrot Lima six to get more convoluted. That's uh-huh. really weird. Yeah. <laughs> that is really weird. A lot of ports, you know, have a have a you know a code like that also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It always struck me as weird that. Um, um, that they, in fact, even used zeros and O's and I's and ones in these things. It just seems like you're oh, just it's asking, obnoxious. It you're is. asking it's for silly. They, you know, they don't. You know, there's restrictions on end numbers. You can't end an end number with a zero, or or an Oscar, because right. it gets gets confused. Yeah. And yet, we have these airport codes. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. I mean, that's not very important. I guess, yeah. Well, my my favorite is is uh, Manassas Regional Airport in Manassas, Virginia. Yeah. When I started flying there back in the seventies, I'm sorry. When I started flying back there years ago, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was Whiskey Ten. Yeah. And that car, like that, that sounded you know, had, had a certain zing to it, you know. But um, they got a tower, and then they got. Um, certified weather reporting in the form of an automated system. And they got a K and an H, uh, Hotel Echo Foxtrot. And um, to this day, I still don't know why. There's nothing There's nothing about the, the county, the city, uh, the environs, anything nearby um, that would suggest HEF as the code for that airport. And I just, I never understood it. I'm sure if I peeled the onion with that special committee, I could find out. That's but, where they you know, used then to keep. I, then I, I couldn't tell you. That's where they used to keep the Playboy jet, right? Well, that's you know that's the only thing. the Hugh Hefner thing is the only thing that that 
really resonates. Um, but even then, it doesn't make any sense because he didn't, as far as I know, he's never been to Manassas. Yeah. Hmm. So, and and then they they change them kind of well. So, oh, uh, give me I an discuss- example of a changed code. Um, I can give you a very practical example. Okay, so um, a, a bunch of the smaller airports in the San Francisco, in the Central California area that I used to operate in and out of. All right, that are multiple entries in my logbook. All right, um, they have got new identifiers now. Um, and uh, for example, there's an airport called San Martin, which we used to call South County. Um, I think it was it was always San Martin, but we sometimes call it South County. Um, and I can't remember what its code used to be, but it was not Echo One Six, which is what it is now. I'm looking at the map. And um, Hollister, another um, you know, actually a fairly large airport um, in the area, uh, used to be a certain code, and now it's Charlie Victor Hotel. Um, and, and you know, and, and and this is actually a practical problem because if I go back through my logbook, if I can't remember, you know, the only identifier I have for what airport it was I work was operating in and out of was the code, which doesn't exist anymore. And I've tried to find cross references, and I can't find an easy to easy to yeah. access cross reference. That's that's a very good point. There's a lot of lost history. Agreed. Um, about older airport codes like that uh, and what the airport code is today. I am I, My logbook has the same kind of situation. Uh, I've got a bunch of, of uh, entries uh, involving airports around the Washington, D.C. area. Some of them don't exist anymore. Well, and, and that's and, bad enough. But, you know, that's but, bad enough. But if it does uh, some exist them, but has a different some, code. Yeah. Some of them have different codes now. Yeah. yeah. So. See, turns out to be more important than you thought. Well, no. I, I know. And so, okay. Well, I was going to say we've solved that problem, but we haven't. We've now. We haven't solved it until, until we can get a handle on that special committee. We've got to dig. Yeah, we've got to, like, make an appointment with the with the super probationary secret committee. Well, you've got to find them first. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, okay. I'm relatively sure that you guys know about it. You just can't say on the podcast. So we'll talk more later on. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, maybe. We should read this article, though, because the title of the article is How Are Airport Codes Decided? Yeah. And um, we read have the article? Really Come on. Why should I start now? <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, but um, there is – I'm sure there is a story there, and that's not a bad vector for someone who might want to write something up in the near future. Oh, I see what you're getting at here. Huh? That's just, actually just, something uh, that might be on, in my wheelhouse, so to speak. So uh, to speak. Yeah, so okay. All right, we'll, we'll definitely talk about this later. Some okay. More. Yeah, anyways. Well, on that note, I will say welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. Uh, do we have a code? We need a we need a, a three-letter code for UNCA- UCAP, I guess, is our code, right? I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, UCAP, which is a broken acronym. And another example of how these things kind of get bent out of proper shape. Um, but uh, um, this is I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from... <laughs> I'm glad we settled that. Yeah, I know. Focus. Yeah, I know, right. From the uh, the banks of the rain. We've just had a lot of rain up here in the last, last uh, half week. Um, and, uh, you know, we had for New England, this is a lot um, that what I'm about to say, we in a two day period, we had like three inches of rain. And uh, the um, lookout point I saw my brother was sent me some pictures of the the waterfront at lookout point. The lake is is currently or actually yesterday it's gone down a little bit, but the lake is currently like nine inches above what they call full pond, which is kind of the normal 
100% height. And so I'm sure that docks are floating away and, and unattended, you know, boats at the edge of the shore have now floated away. It's kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, and here in Dover, the, uh, the, the water, there's a waterfall. So, so Dover used to be a mill town. And so there's a mill pond or a dam in the middle of town, which backs up the river so that it can, you know, they can they used to grab, uh, hy- you know, hydropower out of it. Um, and now it's just a scenic waterfall. Jeff, we may have looked at it when you were here. Yeah. Um, and it's roaring now. I mean, it, you know, like the water must be over a foot above the top of the overflow dam. I mean, it's just like raging right now. It's really quite a thing. So uh, so that's the excitement we've got here. And uh, and although it's nice today, the forecast is to get a little bit more rain up here. So uh, everybody's a little worried about it. Is that from recent rain or is that snow runoff from the wind? No, no, because the snow is pretty much, I, I'm not saying the snow is 100% melted, but the snow is mostly melted by now. Um, we didn't have a very big snowpack anyways this year. Um, no, this was just, it, it, this will happen. You, you, you know, it's like, it's, I forget. I, once upon a time, I did some metrics on this. And uh, when I was living at Lookout Point, I, I knew that if it rained, uh, you know, a half an inch, the lake would rise three three inches or something like that. Um, and so getting three inches of rain kind of makes the lake go a little crazy. But uh, anyways, I'm here in a virtual hangar, which is relatively dry, uh, talking with my uh, two good friends. One of those voices out there from uh, somewhere near Fort, Fort Myers, Florida, the home of the, summer, the uh, spring season Red Sox, is Amy Lobota. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Doing really good today, although it is, what is the weatherman said? It'll be a dry heat, yeah. not summer. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, no, it's not dry in Florida. Uh, yeah, okay. That's, but, that's code for, you know, it'll be warm, but it ain't July yet. Yeah, oh, okay, I that's see. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, hey, how you doing, Amy? Everything good? You having fun? You? Uh... Yeah, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's springtime here. I'm having fun because I can actually drive down the street and not... Uh, get agitated from the traffic and things like that. Most people uh, have okay. gone home. The Red Sox are off playing the regular season, so they are no longer here. The Minnesota mm. Twins are off playing their regular season, so uh, it kind of kind of gives us a little bit more room to breathe in this town. Now, do the, do the locals appreciate spring training? I mean, I would imagine it's a bit of an oh, economic yeah. boon, right? And uh, um, so... Uh, they okay. appreciate spring Spring training immensely. What they do not appreciate is that we don't have the infrastructure for the amount of people who show up for it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's but it's somewhat predictable, right? I would, you know, it's like oh, no, it's more than somewhat predictable. It's entirely predictable. Yeah. And every year, you know, they had these problems. This year, um, you could put a put a point on it because we had so much disruption with the hurricane and people not uh, being yeah. able to be at the beach. So they were all in town and all over the place. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Um, and uh, so, and then my other good friend here in the virtual hangar from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is uh, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. What's going on with you? Uh, pretty much the same as Amy. It's you know. Kind of a, a couple of white puffies way up in the stratosphere, but otherwise it's a clear blue sky. There's a nice breeze. The humidity is down. Uh, it might get to 90 today, so it's you know early May in, in Florida, and uh, uh, we're sitting, we're getting harbingers of, of uh, what's to come. But um, it's a nice day. It's, it's a great day to be outside and puttering around. Cool, cool. What's going on in the world of aviation here? Someplace here I had a list. I've lost it. I just have the VFR flight map The list. Yes. Here it is right here. Uh, Wait a minute. That's not it. 
Is this it? There it is right there. Okay. Uh, uh, Amy, is Wing it, Safety this, Seminars. This is, this is our webmaster, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's, he's the organized one. Uh, you know what? If you want the job, it's yours. Right? I, I understand. Okay. I understand completely. Uh, okay. Uh, Amy, Wing Safety Seminar. What's going on? Yeah, I did one of those yesterday. Yes. Uh, wow. Okay. For an hour and a half because wow. it was a CFI special emphasis one. I, I like renewing my CFI th- through these, by uh-huh. the way. Oh, wait. So F- you... R E E, but you have to catch all of them over two years to actually use them to renew your CFI, and then you have to go into the FAA. That all being said, I'm actually an FAA Wings um, volunteer, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm the lead safety rep for Southwest Florida, which is. Not saying a lot, but you know, I didn't I, know you were lead. Congratulations, I am. that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've been that for a long time, but thank you. I, but no, see, that's still, I, still I sort of knew that. that. But here's so when you said when you said you were at a session session yesterday, I, I was assuming that you were you were giving the session. But no, it was Zoom. It was Karen Kalnischek, uh-huh. um, who is the head of NAFI, the executive director of uh, National Association of Flight Instructors. And she did a wonderful job yeah. um, over the course of, like I said, an hour and a half. Um, what I really like is I like the WINGS program inside of FAASafety.gov. Um, as a flight instructor, I like it um, because I can validate the training that I've done with someone. Mm-hmm. As a pilot, I like it because it backs up my logbook. And yeah. all of the important endorsements and 90-day stuff is all in my wings ah, okay. documentation mm-hmm. online so that if my logbooks go down or burn up or the things that happen to logbooks, let's not go there, right? Yeah. I have documentation of all of my currency and honestly, come on, guys, what is the logbook really for? I know it's it's a warm, fuzzy place to go look at the flights and the places you've been and things like that. But from a legal point of view, it's to log your currency. Yeah. Yeah. I, I You know, it's funny because we take this all for granted now that you can do that. I, I, I remember a buddy of mine was back way back t- 25 years ago, in the early days of me being a pilot. And one of my friends who is a much more experienced pilot and and a bit of a mentor to me. Um, he had, and we were all computer guys, so mm-hmm. it was second nature. He took and put his, he transcribed his logbook into an Excel spreadsheet, all right? Um, and then had occasion to be talking to the FISDO to demonstrate some, you know, whatever, and showed them a printout of the Excel spreadsheet. And they go, what the heck is this, all right? And they pushed back and said, this is not legal, this is not legit. And he stood his ground and said, show me in the dot, in the regs where it's, uh-huh. you know, and I forget the exact, you guys probably know the exact wording, but it basically says a, you know, a, a good copy, a, you know, a, a reliable documentation or whatever the wording is. Um, and he convinced the FISDO even way back then that his Excel spreadsheet was just as good a logbook as, as the paper logbook that we all. And in some ways it's better for yeah. a couple of reasons. One, you're unlikely to make any math errors. Yeah. Uh, yep. um, two, you can make multiple copies of this for nothing and right. put it in different places. Yeah. The only trick there, of course, is keeping everything updated, but that's, you know, that's, that's okay, too. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Jeb, 
today, all we were doing back then was hearkening to what my husband was doing at American Airlines. Exactly. All of his flights were coming off the computer. Uh-huh. And he was taking those printouts and shoving them in his logbook and then handwriting the GA time that he used in his logbook. But in between the 25,000 hours that he logged at American Airlines are all on pieces of, of you know, printer paper. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're a floor flight user and you have it set up in a particular way, um, you, you, it will keep your log for you as well, or at least sure. keep records so that you can then, you know, kind of use them as your logbook. Yeah, you can, you can, there's all kinds of things you can do. And I'm sure other EFBs have the same um, uh-huh. features yeah. or similar features. Um, yeah. But there's all kinds of things you can do with the floor flight logbook. Yeah. Uh, um, and and it, yeah, and it not only does it do the math correctly, you know, per flight, um, it, it gives you these great summaries. You know, it'll tell you uh-huh. how much total time of this category and that yeah. category, and how long since your medical, and I mean, it just does all that kind of stuff for you. It's pretty cool. It's a it's a very very nice feature. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy the Wings program also because it keeps track of each of the sessions that I've attended and shows me where I can put that towards my flight review every year. So when I do a flight review, an actual flight, all the ground has already been done for free ahead of time. Yeah. So there's no requirement for me to do any ground with the instructor doing my, my flight review. Mm-hmm. Now, clarify that and for, for me and for our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a non-flight instructor who, who participates in the WINGS program and logs or, or is, is verified as having sat through any number of presentations or, or, or gone to physical uh, uh, meetings and, and presentations. Um, how does that help him or her at uh, flight review time? They are not. They show that proof that they've attended those sessions and they are not required to sit on the ground and pay that flight instructor for any of the ground time. The one-hour BFRs are very specific. Yeah. It's a minimum of one hour of ground school and one hour of flight time. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So you're saving an hour of flight instruction. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Minimum. Yeah. Minimum, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of this this uh, this uh, wing stuff is very cool. And, and not only is it good training to make you a better pilot, safer pilot, you know, funner pilot, but uh, it gets, you get credits. You get you get, you get credits, and they have the they have points. the sessions online. If you're not in the mood to go out, uh, uh, the one I attended actually, the person lives in Wisconsin, but it was a good speaker, and I wanted to to hear that particular session. Yeah. So I was able to. You can even phone into them. You don't have to zoom into them. Yeah, there's. Uh, I, I was going to do one earlier this week. I got sidetracked. Um, it was. Uh, not coincidentally, uh, about ForeFlight and uh, advanced tips on how to use it and, 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 and this kind of thing. And I, I, I've got a link. I just got to click on it to go watch the whole thing, the recording. Uh, it was a live webinar, and uh, I just didn't make the live timing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I can go back and watch it, and I will. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Good stuff. Um. Interesting story. This is from a couple of weeks ago. We actually alluded to this, Jeb, in some episode we did just recently. I remember we, we kind of quickly mentioned it. Um, from our new favorite aviation publication, the supplychainbrain.com website. <laughs> I, 
I, you know what? So take this all with a grain of salt. But uh, well, the underlying story, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um, so whether or not the, the, this is a good source, really, supply chain brain, one forum, one focus, many minds. It's, uh, I don't know what, anyways, uh, supplychainbrain.com. Um, so the headline is Southwest. Very new age. Yeah. Southwest, that is the airline. Southwest says extreme weather is a growing concern for airlines. Um, and I think the gist of the story here is that uh, the, you know, the, the, the change in our weather, um, and we know from, you know, just from experience that the weather can be, you know, more, more extreme than, it, than maybe it used to be. Um, and the airlines are starting to get concerned about, uh, if nothing else, delays, but maybe even safety things. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything you want to say about that. I'm curious how climate change weather differences might be affecting GA pilots um, and, and just the kind of lifestyle of flying general aviation. Um, any thoughts on either of these two things? Well, if the weather's too bad for the commercial jets to go, then the weather is too bad for GA pilots to go, too, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a money quote in here. This is from uh, Southwest's chief operating officer, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Watterson. Um, quote, just because it hasn't happened before is no longer sufficient because weather is getting more extreme, whether it's for hurricanes or winter weather or rain, thunderstorms, we now need to have a planning process that includes outcomes that are beyond what we've seen before. Yeah. That's a big takeaway for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you know, it makes me smile every time now that someone, a news story refers to the 100 year storm. And it's just like, come on. You know, they say, oh, it was a big storm. That was, that was the kind of storm. Did we just have a 100 year storm? I know. It, we had two in the last month. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm almost not joking. Yeah, um, no, no. I, I, and so, uh, I mean, years I, ago, um, I uh, had, to, had to, I got stuck in Raleigh, Durham one night. I was flogging a Skyhawk. Up from uh, Charleston, I guess. Had to drop a passenger and uh, had to shoot the ILS down to minimums to get into Raleigh. And uh, again, just flogging a little Skyhawk through, through uh, up and down the East Coast. And I bid farewell to my passenger and get the airplane fueled and all this kind of stuff and get on the phone with flight service. This was back when you had to get on the phone with flight service. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, told him who I was, told him what I was doing, told him where I wanted to go. I wanted to get back to Washington. He says, son, get yourself a room for the night. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He said, well, I said, no, 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 slow down. You know, what are people using for alternates these days? And it, the weather was just down all over the East Coast. Mm-hmm. D.C. was down. Raleigh was down. Charlotte was down. Everybody was down. And he says, they're using Savannah and Tri-Cities. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't have the gas to get from here to Washington, shoot an approach, turn around, and go to Tri-Cities, much less Savannah, yeah. um, and still have 45 minutes of gas. So, yeah, I guess we're going to spend the night. Yeah. Uh, but every, uh, all the ducks were walking. All Everything was, was – was, uh, uh, if you didn't have the gas to, to uh, uh, go somewhere else, and somewhere else being a long way away mm-hmm. – uh, Everybody was shut down. Yeah. 
I mean, and I would imagine this is that that circumstance is a lot more common now. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's my question. It, is it, from a from a GA pilot's standpoint, is it just a question of being even more aware of the weather before when you're planning your flight, or should we do we need to change our personal minimums or what? You know, any thoughts? I don't see how it would change your personal minimums if your personal minimums are reasonable. I think it's being realistic about whether th- the situation meets your personal minimums. Mm-hmm. And and as long as you have go no-go decision-making based on what's reasonable for your aircraft and your pilot skills... Um, and your level that day of fatigue and everything else, well, gosh, it shouldn't make a difference except for that you might not go quite as yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not a big believer in personal minimums themselves, in and of, in and of themselves, um, simply because they're too easy to fudge and they can be meaningless. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, it certainly... A very good idea to have a healthy understanding of what two hundred and a half means, or or a thousand and three, um, and having experienced that or having seen that up close and personal, throw in night, throw in mountainous terrain, throw in um, a twenty knot crosswind on the landing runway, and you know it can get really hairy really quickly, and all those factors can come into play all those factors should come into play. Um, but uh, we I don't know that uh, this quote is uh, that I just read off. Uh, um, these outcomes are beyond what we've seen before. They may be more frequent. They may be more long-lasting. They may individually, individual events may be stronger and, and say, have, have greater uh, rain, uh, rainfall, have uh, higher snowfalls, um, have higher winds, all of the above. Um, and you have to trust your instincts. You have to trust your training. You have to trust what you're seeing in the, in the METARs and the TAFs and, and, and all the other weather data that you accumulate. But you know, I come back to... Um, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to face this? Uh, do you really want? Do you really have to get into to Poughkeepsie tonight? Um, having said all that, also think strategically about this stuff. Um, build yourself some time to leave early, or um, leave at a completely different time. Get there early. Um, sit it out somewhere. Let let the cold front go past you. And then get back airborne. There's all kinds of strategic thinking that I think some pilots just don't grasp. I don't. I don't know what the curricula are these days, but I kind of wonder if they're ever actually being taught strategic thinking. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like good advice to me. Amy, any final words on this? Yeah. The other one is the the best way to get from point A to point B isn't always a straight line. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, for example. So, for example, if the front is in the way, but there's a soft part of the front, 
take a left or a right or whichever direction that soft part of the front is. And as Jeb said, fly up to it. If it's soft enough, go through it. If it's not, settle down, have an airport somewhere nearby Mm -hmm. in your plan and land there and wait for the soft part of the front to go over you and then get back up in the air and make your right turn on the backside and and slowly make your way to your destination. Mm -hmm. It's going to take you longer. But you'll probably get there. Yeah, yeah. You have an airplane. You can outrun this stuff. You can go around it. You you are maneuverable. You're not tied to plan A. There's plans B through Z that you can develop on the fly. Mm-hmm. As long as you you know you keep in mind, you, you may have to turn around and go back where you came, and then land. But um, you have an airplane. You you have flexibility. You have maneuverability. Use it. Absolutely. And and for a perfect example, brings me back to a really crappy day leaving uh, AirVenture in the middle of, of uh, at the end of July. And there was the classic cold front just laying across the Ohio River Valley and beginning to pump as the day got going. And at some point, as I was deviating, 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 the air traffic controller, and yes, this was in the days before GPS, um, said to me, so whenever you're ready to go to Brickyard, which was a VOR, and I said, I have no interest in Brickyard. (laughs) (laughs) I "I just want to go south, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I ended I ended up in in uh, at Pocket City, which is Evansville, Indiana. Uh-huh. It's where where I said, OK, you have an ILS. I'll take an ILS. Uh-huh. And I was at 11,000 feet. He had to put me in a holding pattern and bring me down. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, you make your decisions based on what you have. In those days, I didn't have the ability to see weather in the cockpit, and that was as far as I was willing to go. I had a storm scope that was lighting up beautifully. It was as far as I was willing to go without actually looking at the radar yeah. and getting a, getting a better picture of, of what needed to be done next. Yeah. Years um, ago, a buddy of mine and I, the buddy's now retired uh, airline pilot, um, we had a room in Key West, we had a Piper Archer sitting out at Dulles with our name on it. I had the key. And we had all kinds of scuzzy weather between uh, Washington and Key West. And neither of us had an instrument rating. So we called and canceled the first day of our Key West reservation and, and went back to the uh, drawing board and, and I think maybe the beer store. And... Uh, um, the next morning, had to repeat the whole thing. By the by, the time you know the weather cleared up, it was not not even a, a no reason to even go fly the airplane, much less try to go south with it. And it wasn't until years later, we he and I got to talking about that episode, and it's, it dawned on us that if we had gone west for you know go over the mountains, go west. Because the weather in, in the D.C. area was fine. It was the Carolinas and Georgia and, and, and uh, Florida that were that were really scuzzy. And uh, we could have gone around all that stuff. It, it would have taken us a couple of extra hours, but we still could have had our, our, uh, our Key West weekend. And 
I've I, that's that's a lesson I've learned hard and uh, learned the hard way, and and uh, try to uh, remind people of every day, like every time I can. So there you yeah. go. Cool. Cool. Okay. Moving on here. Um, so uh, we're still struggling to get a new administrator. Um, I think we may have touched on this a couple episodes ago that uh, the. Uh, the, the gentleman who had been nominated has decided to withdraw, right? Am I, I remember right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then the other news recently is that uh, um, uh, Billy Nolan, um, I, I feel a little weird calling him Billy because it sounds like I know him or I don't. That's apparently, he goes by Billy Nolan, um, who, he's been the acting administrator, right? For, for longer than a year now. Yeah. Um, and he suddenly announced that he's getting ready to, I don't know, retire or anyways, leave the he FAA. He wants to spend more time. He literally said he wants to spend more time with his family. Yeah. So so, uh, so it kind of starting to become a little bit more urgent. But apparently there's some buzz that uh, President Biden has a candidate in mind. Well, what do, you, what do you guys know about this, Jeb? I'll simply say I don't know anything about the candidate. Uh, I've seen his name around, but that's really uh, all I know about him. Um my comment, and this is something I put in the June issue of Aviation Safety, is it's it's like the film or the book Catch Twenty Two. If you want it, you should be automatically disqualified. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this article that you've pointed us to in uh, the Axios website um, says that someone named Mike Whitaker might be the the next yeah. the next uh, guy in the he, box. He's, so he's the latest trial balloon uh, for the slot. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he's got a he's got a, he's a pilot. That's that's something the previous candidate was not. Um, he uh, has a history at the FAA. He has a history with airlines. Um, he's worked on urban mobility, uh, uh, urban air mobility, excuse me, for Hyundai of all ple- of all uh, companies. Um, I think he's. Uh, I forget um, where what there was an airline. I think he worked at. I want to say TWA, but uh, uh, maybe that's not right. I can't find that in this particular article. But um, no one says he's going to leave when a new candidate is announced, as opposed to when that candidate is confirmed. Um. The punchline in all this, and this, and Jack, this takes us back to where we came in, however many years ago it's been, 17 now, I guess. Um, the FAA is up for reauthorization this year. Mm-hmm. And whoever uh, is the uh, successful candidate, presuming they get in before the process is complete, presuming the process completes itself, um, that's going to be a meat grinder for whoever has that position. And I think right. that's... I think that's literally one thing uh, on Billy Nolan's agenda. He doesn't want to go through that. Yeah. He's been through it, I'm sure, several yeah. times. Right. And just to be clear, when you say the FAA is up for reauthorization, you're talking about the FAA budget. Correct. Yeah. Um, the budget, but all of its programs. Uh, those programs have to be authorized uh, and and uh, funding, uh, maximum funding levels for them set oh, okay. um, in the reauthorization. They can be um, there can be programs added. There can be programs deleted. Um, uh, there can be directives on how those programs are implemented. This is kind of the the, the flight plan for the agency. The budget just tells them how much fuel they get to have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
All right. Well, so this guy, he's not even it's trial balloon is what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know if it's trial balloon or if they're serious. This is the only article I've seen. Maybe maybe I've seen one other article, but I think it quoted this article. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's kind of how this stuff works sometimes. Um, but um, your guess is as good as mine right now as far as who's going to be the next. Event. I mean, is there something going on here or is it just kind of this is just bad luck that we've had? We can't get an administrator. Um, I think the Biden administration kind of stubbed their toe with their with their initial nominee, Phil Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, who he, He's got the only aviation experience I'm aware of that he has is serving as chief executive officer of Denver International Airport, mm-hmm. which isn't really, I don't know how much of that is an aviation position. This ain't Burt Lancaster in the movie Airport. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, um, so I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, he got raked over the coals for not having any aviation background in the Senate. And I don't know how justified that was or not. Um, that all having been said, um, it's not a good idea. Uh, I'll put it another way. As I, as I said also in, 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 in the June issue, um, we need a little bit more rudder at the FAA. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I agree. Yeah. Okay. We will keep an eye on this thing. It's a, Yes, it's we a, absolutely. It, it's it will a, be a topic of conversation throughout the, the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Who's going to do meet the boss at Oshkosh? <laughs> well, will there be a uh, boss? I don't know. Well, there probably won't be a boss by then. Uh, if they do this. Well, it's got to be an acting. I mean, somebody's got to be. It's going to be an acting. And the acting is uh, Katie Thompson, who's current chief of staff, uh, is expected, according to this article is expected to serve as acting administrator when uh, Billy Nolan leaves. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see. Okay. We'll get report the, back. Get your popcorn ready, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so apparently the way to solve all of America's budget problems is to uh, all those rich people who own personal airplanes are going to get taxed more. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Amy, you'll put this on, on, the, on the list. What's going on here? More taxes on general aviation, you wrote. Some sort of study recommended? The, the Institute for Policy Studies, okay. abbreviated IPS, yeah. is promoting its new study, High Flyers 2023. And, yeah, it says that that uh, the super-rich high, high flyers are burning up our planet. That's a quote, by the way. That's just... Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. yeah. So they're recommending, and this is where it really gets outrageous, uh, 10% sales tax on all pre-owned private aircraft sales, a 5% tax on new aircraft tan- transactions, doubling the federal fuel tax on business aircraft, which you and I all know is going to be anything that burns fuel yeah. and flies. Uh, imposing a surcharge on short hop flights of less than 210 miles with higher rates applying for flights less than 100 miles. So what does that say about GA? Mm. Blocking increases to passenger facility charges for airline passengers instead getting the additional tax revenue from private owners. Private jet owners, yeah. Private jet owners is what it says. Yes. Okay, but but you know this this is um, a very slippery slope. It is a very slippery slope. I there's a lot of 
misunderstandings here. Uh, yes, a, I agree. Lack of a better word. And and uh, you're reading, I, I read the same article earlier today from Mark Huber wrote from uh, Aviation International News. Um, according to NBAA, NBA gave AI in a statement, said, among the study's mischaracterizations and selective use of data, its most glaring factual omission is that for decades, business aviation has been a test bed for technologies that reduce the sector's carbon footprint and pave the way for realizing the established goal of achieving net zero emissions from business aircraft by 2050. Now, MBA is in part referring to sustainable aviation fuel, which is um, a non, Amy, help me out here, a non-petroleum-based um, jet fuel. Correct. Okay. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, and... Um, one of the biggest problems, though, and I've, I've seen this at the pointy end of the, of the policy sphere um, in dealing with TSA, um, it's impossible at a glance to tell if an airplane, if, if two airplanes on any ramp anywhere are being operated for private purposes or being operated for charter purposes, commercial purposes. It's impossible to know. Agreed. And... That's one of the, the big fallacies here. Um, I don't understand 210 miles. I don't understand 100 miles. Uh, now, let me kind of tilt the, the pinball machine a little bit here. I fully support an increased federal excise tax on aviation fuel. The, the, the tax that we pay now has been the same basic level for 20-plus years. Inflation and so many other things have have uh, conspired uh, to rob the uh, infrastructure, the aviation infrastructure. We're not getting the same bang for the buck that we used to, so to speak. And that is certainly something that I wouldn't mind seeing change. I'd say the same thing for the highway excise tax for the same reasons. But um, some of this other stuff in here is just kind of nonsense. It's it's let's let's throw stuff at the wall. Did I say stuff, right? I did say stuff. You did say stuff. You let's, did. Let's, let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And also, I think that they're, they still suffer from there is no easy way to collect any of these taxes yeah. that they're suggesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, I agree with you on the fuel tax in terms of, of collection and possibly yeah. revision. However, that has to be siloed and it has to stay in the Aviation Trust Fund. Exactly. And it cannot be taken for other things. No, it cannot be. And that was the original purpose and underlying uh, justification for the airport airways trust fund and there's been a number of of uh let's just put it this way uh sleight of hand uh um, events occurring with the trust fund going back to like within five years of its of its current incarnation back in the 80s 70s and 80s um the trick is that oftentimes the monies in the trust fund. Um, let me put it another way. We talked earlier about um, the flight plan and uh, how we're, how much fuel we're going to use in, in, the, in the sense of reauthorizing uh, the FAA and in the sense of budgeting for the FAA. Um, what often happens is that the money there isn't spent 
the money in the trust fund isn't spent, or um, it's it's what, it might, that might be the case one year, uh, the next year it's all spent because you know, the things caught up with each other, and there's there have been highs and lows and feasts and famine uh, in the uh, in the airport and airways trust fund for for decades, and uh, one of the underlying problems here, uh, at least for GA, is that the, the taxes on aviation fuel aren't anywhere close to um, half or even a, a 10% of the amount going into the trust fund from airline ticket taxes. Um, so how do you allocate, how do you correctly, equitably allocate um, those revenues out to all airports in need, uh, and that's been a, a perennial problem. There's there's never enough money to go around, and the big airports sometimes find themselves saying, "Hey, why does that little airport over there get 100% funding for a new runway when we need a new taxiway here?" And back and forth and, and hither and yon, and it, it can be a be a very frustrating process. It's it's the worst imaginable process for allocating, collecting and allocating these funds, except for all the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Amy, this is your subject. Any final words here? You wanna... No, he, he put it very succinctly. Okay. I don't disagree with him. I think that, yeah. that, that you know, the, the IPS really should have stuck with facts and not come up with this skewed and and weird way they've interpreted data. Yeah. At least they didn't That's suggest sh- privatizing the air traffic. Yeah, system. right. I know. Shocking. These kinds of things never happen. But, I don't understand. But, but according to the the article we just talked about a few minutes ago regarding the FAA administrator, the candidate we mentioned, I think his name is Whitaker, he has been apparently been quoted as saying that it's 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 an idea that we should look at privatizing ATC. Oi. Really? So I thought that's, we put that one to bed years ago. I, I thought we drove a stake through its heart. Also, um, oh no, that's a vampire baby. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> and, okay. And we we use the wrong kind of wood, or didn't use a silver hammer, or, or yeah. screwed up somewhere in that recipe. Where's Buffy? But it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on here, um, email from a listener. Uh, listener Doug F. Uh, sent along an interesting email. Um, it's pretty pretty concise, so I'll, I'll read basically the whole thing here. He says, um, hi, Jack and Jeb and Amy. Um, he said, uh, it was great to visit with you guys at, at Sun and Fun. I thought I would share our experience with the Continental AD. This is the uh, Airworthiness Director. Thank you. Uh, having to do with the uh, circlips in the uh, in the uh, Continental engines or in some Continental engines. Um, he goes on to say, we purchased a factory rebuilt IO550 last year for our club's A36 Bonanza. We had 160 hours on it when the AD was issued. Our serial number was on the list of affected engines, which that must have given them a nice warm, fuzzy feeling the day they realized that. Huh? Um, he goes on to say, we, had, we have a great relationship with our maintenance shop, and they were able to accommodate us within two weeks. He says they made the inspection tool and removed two cylinders to check the suspect circlip. Luckily, ours was installed correctly, and the engine was reassembled without incident. The shop submitted their bill to Continental and was promptly paid. 
I have to say, he, can, he finishes, uh, that we are pleased with Continental's response to this problem. That's listener Doug F., who uh, is not only a listener, but has become a good friend um, over the years. Um, I've ridden in this airplane. Uh, so, uh, good deal, I guess, right? I mean, uh, have you have you yeah, any... I, you know, if you're going to have an outcome, this is about as good an outcome as you can get, given the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, have, has, have you guys heard any other stories of people with uh, their experience with this AD? I have not. Yeah. No, I, I have to be honest. I have not as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, if this is, yeah, I mean, this is obviously a small, small, small sampling, but I'm glad that it's a, it's a falling in the right direction, so to speak. Um, my, uh, the, the line, that, the, the phrase in here that caught my attention was he said that uh, um, the the maintenance shop had to, they made the inspection tool. All right, which I, which is probably just routine in in in, in 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 you know mechanics in general, maybe in aviation maintenance. But the idea that they had to make an, a tool in order to remove the cylinders, um, I mean, is that did that catch your attention, or is that truly routine? Yes and no. They, the AD calls out for using a tool and provides detailed instructions on how to fabricate that well, tool. There you go. But it's not. To be used for the mere removal and reinstallation of the cylinders. It's used to verify um, the the circlip is installed correctly. Ah, uh, okay. The cylinders have been so it's. Removed. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an odd wording then. So the, yeah, okay. The tool is not about removing the cylinder. The tool is about inspecting the clip when the Correct. cylinder is removed. Am Correct. I, yeah. Okay. Um, Nevertheless, I, I mean, I guess yeah. I shouldn't. I mean, it'd be, you know, well, I'm, that or that, that or you can go to Continental and, and pay, you know, an exorbitant number of dollars for one, or you can just fabricate something in the field. As long as it meets the specs, it's fine. Yeah, and it, it's you know, it's basically scrap metal and a couple of screws or something. I don't remember exactly the details on manufacturing or fabricating that tool. Yeah, but I could look it up. Yeah, Amy, you're the you're the uh, you're the tool hander tour of a of a uh, aviation mechanic. You do, do, do is making tools a thing? I mean, yeah, big time. Uh huh. Because that's what we do. I mean, come on, birds do it. Yeah, well, I, chimpanzees <laughs> and orangutans do it. We do too. When you have a very specific thing that you need to do, mm-hmm. and in the, this case, it's something that wouldn't typically be done. Um, I think it was great that Continental. Put in the specs of the AD what you were going to need to perform the task. And if you can read that and go, oh, wait, I can just bend this thing over here and adjust it Mm -hmm. this way. Mm -hmm. And yep, let's just like what they want. Yeah. Okay. You know? Cool. Why wouldn't you? There have been instances in the past, I don't, I can't give you specifics, but when a similar, I don't know if it was an AD or service bulletin or, or whatever. And I'm not sure it was from Continental either. But um, you needed to fabricate something to verify that the airplane or the engine or some other appliance was was, uh, installed correctly or assembled correctly or something like that. And there was a shortage of the tools. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I guess fabricating it in the field wasn't really an option or or whatever. But whatever the, the, the inspection method was... Um, it took a while to get the tools. Yeah, and that was a that was a big bottleneck. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to come up with a joke about the fact that Jeb owns a lot of screwdrivers. I've, I've just I've observed this over the years. Um, 
Jeb, I, Jeb never Jeb never saw a screwdriver for sale that he didn't want to own. And, um, <laughs> have you have you reached a? I don't know. You there's should no, do there's a, no critical mass of screwdrivers. There should, well, yeah, you need to do an inventory. You need to do a, a census of screwdrivers. Do you own a, gro- a gross of screwdrivers yet? I don't know. I, I don't know about a gross. Here's here's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on a task, and you know, I'm, or I'm, I'm staring at something that needs, you know, needs a couple of turns on a screwdriver, and there's not a screwdriver nearby. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it makes me a little crazy, and I have um, solved that problem, addressed that problem by having multiple screwdrivers in multiple locations where I might need them. Yeah. And I frankly find your smugness a little bit off-putting. <laughs> does, well, okay, so Amy, does Barry own multiple screwdrivers, more, many more screwdrivers than he actually, I don't know, needs, uses? So I met this guy, and he was living in a very small apartment, very, very lightly furnished. And at some point... I had to go to his storage unit. He had he had uh, already matriculated for training with American Airlines. And in any case, I had to get the stuff out of storage. And I didn't know what the stuff was, okay? Yeah. Let me be very honest with you. I'd, I'd known this guy for, I don't know, eight months at that point, nine. And I went to this storage unit, which was stacked to the ceiling, and... That's when I saw the tools, guys. Yeah. And this was after supposedly he had gone to a flea market and sold most, quote, of his tools. All right. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to say that Barry has more screwdrivers than Jeb because I have not taken a census on any of these things. Um, But they have like toy boxes. Both of them. Yes. Uh-huh. And I would suspect that it would be, there would be an honest um, uh, comparison between the two uh, in terms of how many, how many uh, different kinds of tools they would be able to pull out of the different toolboxes that are secluded and secreted all through those hangers. Uh, Jeb, correct me if I'm wrong. I rest my case. I <laughs> fully and, and closely associate myself with the gentlewoman's remarks. Okay, very good. Uh, yeah, all right. Um, interesting airplane crash. Uh, this is just brand new news. This is a story came out just today. Um, traction. Uh, no, it was originally yesterday, updated today. Uh, plane hits pickup. Um, so apparently, uh, let's see, where was this? This was uh, in Western Canada. Um a, uh, at Langley Regional Airport, a, a 182 was coming in for landing um, and uh, clipped the windshield of a pickup truck that was on the um, on a on a, a public road outside the airport fence, apparently, um, and uh, the uh, and, and this caused the aircraft to uh, crash and and banged up the truck pretty good. Um, apparently, all three, two people on the airplane and one person in the truck always received injuries of some sort. Um, and uh, But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I don't know. I, have you guys seen this story? Have you had any, yeah. any reaction to this story? Um, 
My my question, I guess, I mean, it's a sad story. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen such a thing. Was that you, that, there was a there was a viral YouTube video a bunch of years ago of a uh, of I believe it was like a one seventy two or something like that landing. Um, coming in low yeah. over the airport fence and actually bounced off the roof of like an SUV um, that was outside the fence. And uh, fortunately, they, I think they were able to land successfully. I mean, of course, things got damaged. but uh, um, And so this one, I don't think this was caught on video, but there is a picture here with the story. This is an AvWeb story I was just reading from. And uh, my question is, I'm almost tempted to say the truck didn't really play into this. The truck was just a victim of this whole thing. That if the aircraft bounced off the truck outside the airport fence, then the aircraft maybe was on the verge of missing the runway to begin with, not making the runway to begin with. Um, I don't know. I don't, it's entirely possible. I'm looking at this picture, and, and you can click on the picture and see a, a larger version of it. Um, it looks like the roadway and the truck are about, I'm going to punt and say 50 yards from the from the runway threshold, that's what it appears. Yeah, it's given yeah. given what this this what, what the angle and all that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to have been that low, but I'm sure you know, he would have made the runway, presuming he added some power and and, and stopped the descent. Um, but that kind of sort of got him into the situation he's in. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There's got to be more to this story, I would think, than what we're looking at here. And, yeah, it could have been a downdraft. Uh Uh, We don't know what the wind was doing. Uh, We don't know what was going on power-wise. Was the power at idle? Because sometimes if you jam it back in, you're going to get a sputter. You're not going to get an immediate surge of power to try and solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't know. Was he making a short-field approach? How long the runway is? Uh, what the wind was doing, all these kinds of things. Um, uh, y'all be careful out there now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're left with that's unfortunately uh, something that that can happen, um, and you really gotta gotta pay attention to you know the the conditions. But I wouldn't want a Monday morning quarterback this yeah, one because yeah. I there, don't have enough was, information. There was an accident report I came across recently. Um, guy flew into, I think it was a Cherokee 6. Guy flew into a grass strip, uh, uh, visited for a few hours, was was strongly suggested, strongly admonished that he take off in one direction, um, the, the direction opposite the railroad tracks. Um, because at the end of the field, because, because, because. And um, for one reason or another, um, it looked initially to appear to be taxiing towards the railroad tracks to make a 180-degree turn and turn around and take off in the opposite direction. But no, that's not what he did. He just kind of slowly accelerated. And accel- oh, that's, that's okay. We're still rolling. We'll just, we'll, we got a runway. We're moving. We'll just apply full power from here. And, oh. and, of course, smacked into a moving train. Oh. So I, I, I don't recall the outcome with respect to injuries or, or fatalities or anything like that, but there's always something that you can run into off the end of the, end of the runway. 
in one direction or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, I had my mic muted there. It was just as you're starting to tell the story about the train. I had a train go by here, and I, of I was, course, um, you probably heard the first horn. I thought I, I did, I, I did hear. Yeah. Yes. Now, now this, the, the, the trains blow the horns twice here, and I thought I got them both, but I didn't. Anyways, uh, that's yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, these things happen, I guess. Uh, it puts me in mind of there. Uh, you talk about viral videos on YouTube. There's what's the airport? And this is not a GA airport. This is a serious airliner airport in the Caribbean or something like that, where the airliners come in crazy low over the beach, all right, and over over a road outside the fence. And it's become a thing to be there. And as the airplane, you can, I mean, it's not almost not an exaggeration to say you could reach up and touch the airplane, the gear, maybe. I don't know. Um, And it's just every time I see these videos, it's kind of scary. It's like, holy crap, I guess. You know, this just strikes me as why do they even? I mean, why do they let people stand in this spot? I remember, yeah, I I don't know if you can still go there in Washington D.C. Um, in um, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about, Jeb? You maybe yeah, do. Dangerfield Park, yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, um, it it's, um, I think, it's I don't. I don't Dangerfield was part of the name. It's underneath the approach to one of the runways to uh, Na- National Airport. I think it's right. Yeah, it's, um, it's right under the approach path for runway yeah. one eight at National Airport. Yeah, and so it used to be one eight, might be one nine. And it's cool because you can go in this park. One of the things that's cool about this park is that you can they, the the airplane. They, a lot of the aircraft are doing that funky um, Potomac River approach, where they follow the river. Uh, you know, south or south. But, east southeastish bound um into dc and at the and a relatively short not sh- you know final short final they do a really dramatic uh like 45 50 degree right turn in order to get on the runway center line um and then they come over this park um and uh and and then continue on and touch down on the runway uh and 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 it's it's very cool from a lot of different reasons seeing them make this sharp turn um having them be relatively low, not nearly as low as this beach I was referring to, but relatively low overhead. The other thing that's really cool, though, is that, so they come down, they pass overhead, and it's a very loud, big, you know, roaring jet noise, and then they, they pass by, and, and just about the time they touch down on the runway, if you're paying attention back in the park, you can hear little wind whirly noises, all right, because you hear the wingtip vortices come down to the ground there, and uh, and, and if, you're, if the conditions are right, you'll actually see it you know, sort of tornado, uh, dust devils, the, the, the sand and the, and the dirt on the ground. And I was, I was in that location one night on a boat. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. The boat's owner was also a pilot and we, alcohol might've been involved. I don't mm-hmm. remember. <laughs> um, but we parked the boat right there at, at Dangerfield Point or Dangerfield Park or whatever it's called and just let it drift. And you're exactly right. You know, the, the jet's coming in right over our heads, um, touching down, and then you hear this rippling noise. It's like it's like you're, you're waving a sheet or something. Yeah. A bed sheet. Yeah. That kind of thing, or a flag whipping. Um, and um, then you look at the water, and the water has all this disturbance that's hitting it. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that's that's a great demonstration of wingtip vortices and wake turbulence and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Physics in action, man. It's yeah. very, very cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, anyways, so... Uh, yeah, so I, I'm glad nobody was hurt at this uh, this uh, Canadian airport um, um, collision between the airplane and the truck. It's, I guess you know you're both right to point out that we don't know everything about this yet. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll learn some more. 
but uh, yeah, be careful out there, I guess. And somebody said that about something else earlier in this episode. Mm. Anyways, I think that's it. I think it's fork time. I, I think we're we're. Well, we're out of list, that's for sure. Yeah, we're, we're out of list. There's actually one more item, but we'll, we'll come back to one another day. Um, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure to get together. Um, thanks for uh, for uh, allocating some time in your busy day. Uh, Amy Lobota, that's, uh, that's Amy. Thank you, Amy. Amy's a, an ATP pilot who, after over 40 years in the aviation community, now enjoys giving back as a lead fast team representative. She's a retired aviation journalist, and she likes to describe herself as an assistant airplane builder, or as I like to say, a tool hander over her. Uh, she, she manages to avoid social media pretty good, but can occasionally be found on Twitter at Amy Laboda. Uh, thank you, Amy. Appreciate it. Uh, and Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor. He serves as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a frequent contributor to other aviation publications. You can find Jeb's work online at aviationsafetymagazine.com. Also, he uh, you find his work at avweb.com and aea.net, among others. On social media, he's Burnside J at Twitter. His magazine, Aviation Safety, is avsafetymag, also on Twitter. And on Mastodon, he's Burnside J at mytransponder.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places with the all one word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson, in the Fediverse, that's the gen- that's that's another word for Mastodon. In the Fediverse, I am Jack Hodgson at Mastodon.social. Uh, and you can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. Uh, and oh, you know what? I didn't add it to. Oh, I did actually. Coming here it comes. Here it comes. I did remember to add this. Okay. Uh, and so there you go. Uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, for taking the time to listen. Um, you can follow UCAP now in the Fediverse on Mastodon uh, at Uncontrolled Airspace at mytransponder.com. And so uh, uh, we now have an identity over there. And if possible, we please ask you to become a supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation care of the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And we'd love to hear from you, so uh, you can use that same email address, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com, to send us your comments and questions. So anyways, Jeb, was there some words of wisdom you wanted to share with us? Yeah, I was going to simply tell you that uh, I don't really care what the checklist says. Don't switch fuel tanks right before taking off. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I agree with you. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs>